This is Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Follow on Twitter. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Spreading like fist. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. We Marking Out, y'all. Marking Out. Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Marking Out Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. This is episode 592. I'm your host, Brandon. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BTTG161. Dave is not with us this week. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at DavidPTDPT. Chris, you can follow on Twitter at Chris Sweendog and Instagram at cmsweeney85 collectively at marking out on Twitter at TikTok as well blowing up um, also marking out 11 on YouTube and Instagram of course you could also check us out on Spotify podcasts Apple podcasts markingout.com Stitch Radio and all those good places um I have to apologize right off the bat for how I sound. I don't have my microphone this week, so it's my computer. And I'm also outside, so those crickets are 100%. It's not like the time. (laughs) I thought it'd be funny to add crickets to the whole episode, but this is like shoot crickets, so you'll hear all the background noise and everything because somewhat last minute I decided to fly down to Florida to visit my dad. And I'll definitely speak more about that next week, but I wanted to document, before I start talking about WWE, I wanted to document what actually, what it took to get down to Florida. Because last minute, this trip, like I said, was kind of last minute. So even more last minute, there was a tropical storm hitting where I was going. And West Palm Beach. And... Friday felt like a travel day from hell and I was not even traveling. I found out my flight had been canceled, which is fine. And I spent an hour until I actually got JetBlue on the phone. Uh, Not on the phone, to chat. And they ended up changing my flight without me knowing from JFK to Westchester, which is just bizarre. And if you're listening to this, you may not know Westchester. You may know Westchester if you if you might be unfamiliar with it. It's in New York, obviously. Um, well, not obviously because I guess they could have changed it to New Jersey as well, which is dumb. But you might know Westchester due to some old WWE shows in White Plains. Um, and again, if you're unfamiliar, it's literally the border of New York and Connecticut. Meanwhile, JFK is on Long Island. Um, so finally, I'm able to get onto a flight from JFK a bit later than I was hoping for it to be, which again, that was out of my hands. That was fine. And hours later, when I went to check in, it told me I had to pay for luggage that I was already paying for. So I had to contact them again, which literally took over two hours just to speak to them. And all they had to do was literally transfer the the luggage thing that I had paid for onto this ticket. Two hours for a whoops, we forgot to transfer your luggage thing onto your new ticket. So that sucked. So that's why it felt like a a travel day from hell. And that's why I needed (laughs) 
to document that somehow. But I traveled down on on Saturday, and that was for the most part that was fine. The AC on the airplane was out for for a portion of it before we took off, so that really sucked. And it was like really hot on the airplane, but once we took off, it was fine. My TV volume though kept going off, so that sucked. But I got to watch a movie and a Brian Wilson documentary, so that was dope. Um, but yeah, so I'm here by myself. I'm doing awesome as always. Um, Chris will be joining us later on. Like I said, he'll be talking about AEW. I'm here to talk WWE, and I'm going to start with NXT in your house, which kicked off with Tony D'Angelo, Channing, Stax, Lorenzo, and Troy, two dimes, Donovan, picking up the victory over Legato Del Fantasma. Uh, so Legato now has to join the D'Angelo family, and I thought Legato was 100% going to be winning that match. The D'Angelo's, I thought, had a nice cinematic like video package entrance. I thought that was cool. This is not the match I would have chosen to open with, but the crowd was absolutely on fire for it. So I couldn't have been more wrong. And a lot of these matches, the, the weekend, the, the PLEs, I was incorrect with my picks. But pretty much from the start, the referee lost control, got it back, and it did happen again later on in the match. Joaquin Wilde got to use the crowbar behind the referee's back. Tony ends up taking him out with the brass knuckles. Two dime pushes stacks onto Wild, gets the pin. I, I thought that that whole ending was really nice, really well done. After that, Toxic Attraction picked up the victory over Katana Chance and Caden Carter to retain the NXT Tag Team Championships. Toxic Attraction attacking them before the match, and uh, Katana Chance and Kaden Carter ends up with the upper hand before this, the match starts officially. The match itself I thought was really fun. I'm I'm not disappointed that Toxic Attraction retained, but I definitely I would have liked to have seen new champions here because I'm a big fan of Katana Chance. I'm a big fan of Kaden Carter. I think they're such a fun tag team. I wish Kaden Carter was in 2K22. She is via pictures but not like her actual character I still have no idea how that happened but I mean I wish Toxic Attraction was in 2K22 also I feel like Mandy at least you could give us some sort of hair update with that and a new character model maybe I have no idea I don't know how video games work but uh, I felt like this this match they had a lot of nice tag team moves like the assisted Hurricane, uh, Hurricane Rana by Katana Chance to Gigi Dolan, which in turn had Gigi land a senton onto JC. And then we saw the the uh, Caden Carter hit JC with that diamond cutter on the apron. That looked brutal. And I got to say that uh, Cameron Grimes, Carmelo Hayes was really good. But if I had to choose my favorite match from this event, it was this match. But Carmelo Hayes... After that, picks up the victory over uh, Cameron Grimes to become the new North American champion. Not uh, not going to lie, right before they had panned up to Carmelo Hayes, I thought it was Tyler Breeze. But Cameron Grimes' entrance I thought was really cool. He came down in a rocket ship. Uh, and like I said, man, these two killed it. They absolutely killed it. They had that DDT on the apron that Cameron Grimes got hit with. That was awesome. 
Trick got involved behind the referee's back and tied Cameron Grimes' arm to the rope with a bandana, which gave Hayes a temporary advantage. But after Trick got involved again, Grimes was able to take over. And he hit a, a really cool springboard Russian leg sweep. Spanish fly, I guess you would call it. But Trick got involved again. And Carmelo Hayes was fully able to take advantage of that. And from these matches, I was three out of three. I was wrong. The first three. Manny Rose went on to pick up the victory over Wendy Chu to retain the NXT Women's Championship. Wendy Chu's entrance I thought was pretty funny. She was like sleeping and dreaming of everything that she's done to Toxic Attraction. And then she was dreaming of being the new champion. I thought that was cool. I thought it was a decent match. It went to the outside at one point, and Mandy Rose left Wendy Chu out there to get counted out. She flaunted the title as if she was about to win. And at the, the last second, Wendy Chu got back in the ring. Mandy, we saw her rip up one of Wendy's pillows, and Wendy Chu snapped as if she was Festus here in a ring bell. And... She takes off her onesie like Jerry the King Lawler. I think commentary even made mention of that. Locked Mandy Rose in a sleeper. Went for the top rope gimmick. And Mandy Rose hit uh, threw her off the top rope. Hit her with the knee and picked up the victory there. But again, I thought this was a well done match. After that, Mackenzie Mitchell interviewed Roxanne Perez and Tiffany Stratton about the breakout tournament. That just leads to dyna- uh, dynamite. That leads to... The, the episode of NXT this this past week, but the Creed brothers picked up the victory over Pretty Deadly to become the new tag team champions. Creed's obviously killed it in this match. I wish the referee had more control, but uh, Julius and Brutus, man, that uh, that shooting star press by Julius was absolutely incredible. Wasn't expecting that, and uh, I again wasn't expecting the Creeds to win. I was hoping that Pretty Deadly would walk out as champions, but again, I'm not disappointed that the Creeds are the new champions. It just sucks that Pretty Deadly seemed like transitional champions. That that kind of does suck. After that, they announced that the Great American Bash uh, is going to be taking place on July the 5th, the day after Independence Day, on a normal episode of NXT. So I'm looking forward to that. Main event saw Braun Breaker pick up the victory over Joe Gacy to retain the NXT Championship. Braun had a version of Scott Steiner's WrestleMania 9 singlet on, which I thought was cool. The match, decent. Breaker got distracted by one of the Druids, went to use a chair, but uh, Joe Gacy ends up attacking him from behind. I think he might have swung the chair. I don't fully remember that. I forget that. But... One of them got involved again later on. Braun took him out, which distracts the referee. The other druid slides in a chair. Gacy tries to pull an Eddie Guerrero right when the referee turns around. And um, the whole story being where if Braun Breaker got DQ'd, he'd lose the championship. And Braun, right before the referee calls for the DQ, another referee runs down, stops it which I thought played well into that whole no DQ thing where Braun can't get DQ'd. Uh, 
Uh, otherwise, I thought it would have been a dumb spot, but it plays right into it. It works well for the match. Breaker ends up spearing Joe Gacy off the apron through the commentary table, which looked absolutely rough. And the referee left the chair in the ring. Joe Gacy's in the ring afterwards begging Braun to use the chair. Braun gives it to the referee. And when the referee turned around, Joe Gacy low-blowed him. Almost got a three count. Braun goes to use the chair, hits a druid instead, and then spears Joe Gacy. Hits that power slam, picks up the victory there. I thought we would have seen a druid reveal. However, not to jump ahead, but we find out that uh, we'll, we'll see that next week. Moving over to Hell in a Cell, it opened up with Bianca Belair picking up the victory over Asuka and Becky Lynch to retain the Raw Women's Championship. They went out there and proved why the WWE has the best women's division. I say this from time to time, and I, I wish that we could get more matches like this all the time. It started with Asuka and Bianca Belair taking Becky out so they could focus on each other. And the crowd was super hot for both of them. Becky Lynch comes back into it. The fans ate everything up. Bianca Belair is literally one of the most impressive athletes in WWE history. I love the spot, the braid Irish whip to Becky into Asuka. And then the double arm chicken wing uh, face buster onto Becky Lynch. I thought that was great. Followed it up by a shining star press to both of them. I thought it was a nice chain of moves there. The running hip attack from Asuka to both of them I thought was nice. And then she locked both of them in the ankle lock at the same time. I liked that. Um, and then ultimately Becky Lynch hit the manhandle slam and Bianca Belair tossed her out of the ring and pinned Asuka. And I thought for sure it would have been... If Bianca Belair was going to win, I thought it'd be over Becky. And not Asuka. After that, MVP and Omos were backstage. Cedric interrupted them and pitched an, uh, an idea, a plan that he had to them. And MVP was like, no. Her business is dead, brother. We're, we're not associates anymore. Get over it. We're done. And then Bobby Lashley went on to pick up the victory over MVP and Omos in a handicap match. We got a barricade spot where almost bodied Bobby Lashley through it. Lashley obviously made it back in to the ring, but Cedric made his way into the match and almost took him out. Lashley was able to spear almost from that. And that was pretty much the end of the, the match. MVP missed the player's boot. Lashley locked in the hurt lock, picked up the victory. I think Bobby Lashley winning was very predictable. Even more with that backstage segment with Cedric after, which I, I don't think was a I don't think it was a bad match. I just think it was very predictable. Um, afterwards, Bobby Lashley took a fan's WWE Championship and held it up, which I think was a cool thing to like signify that he wants to be champion again, and it's definitely something that that fan will remember for the rest of their life. I thought that was cool, but afterwards, Bobby Lashley questioned Cedric, and Cedric said he did it for himself. He didn't do it for Bobby Lashley. He wants to prove to himself that he can do stuff, and Lashley told him he's proud of him, and he's proud of him for standing up for himself, and 
don't ever do it again during a match of his. After that, Kevin Owens picked up the victory over Ezekiel. Good match. Ezekiel almost picks up the victory right away. Kevin Owens kicks out. The match keeps going. Again, kind of an unexpected outcome for me. Kevin Owens super kicked Ezekiel when he was uh, up on the top rope. And he got a cannonball over there and finally hit a stunner after two previous attempts in the match and picked up the victory there. That just led to a Monday Night Raw segment. A lot of these matches on this card were Monday Night Raw. After that, we saw the Judgment Day pick up the victory over the Bullet Club, which I thought was a really cool thing that both teams had matching gear colors. Black and white for the Bullet Club and purple and black for Judgment Day. Um, first time seeing Edge wrestle with short hair. Very weird. Very, very weird. But the match itself I thought was enjoyable. AJ Styles hit Edge with the phenomenal forearm. Damian Priest pulls Edge out of the ring. Or pulls uh, AJ Styles out of the ring, saving Edge. Meanwhile, Edge was down for much longer. He could have been out for that whole count. There was a spot at one point where everyone got in the ring and they all brawled. Didn't last long. Bullet Club was able to, to push everybody to the outside. And then dove onto the Judgment Day. Ripley shakes the rope at one point when Finn Balor went for the coup de grace. AJ Styles somehow got busted the hell open. I don't know what happened there, but Rhea Ripley stepped in front of Finn Balor when he tried to, I think, hit a coup de grace. Saving Edge. Liv wrestles her out of the ring. Balor went for the finish. Edge moves. Hits him with a spear. And I think I picked the wrong winner for this too. But I don't mind it. After that, the only SmackDown match on the card. Madcap Moss picked up the victory over Happy Carbon. In a no-holds-barred match. I thought this was a good match. I liked when Corbin went for a weapon. And everyone cheered, so he threw the ring skirt down. I thought that was a classic, like, he gets it sort of situation. But Corbin brought the chair into the match to get some revenge for SmackDown. Madcap ends up hitting Corbin with a drop toe hold onto the chair. Corbin ends up throwing the chair out, grabs a fresh one. I didn't get that, but he sets it up in the corner, which Madcap went on to use, much like SmackDown. Much like SmackDown, he used the chair, wraps around his back. DDT'd Corbin onto it. Corbin ends up using it around Madcap's neck and smashes it into the commentary table. And he puts the steps in the ring, leans them on the corner. Madcap ends up hitting a fallaway slam into them. And he hits the punchline. And before he picks up the victory, he wraps the chair around Corbin's neck. He grabs the steps and smashes the chair around Corbin's neck to pick up the victory. After that, we saw Theory pick up the victory over Mustafa Ali to retain the United States Championship. Some nice Captain America gear for Theory and uh, some really cool Chicago-inspired gear for Mustafa Ali. He was really big time over with the hometown crowd there. But throughout the match, Theory worked on Mustafa Ali's knee a little bit. He hit that nice Spanish fly from the, the top rope that turned into a Thez press. Although that was nice. But Ali reversed the ATD. Locks in an STF. 
Theory makes it to the ropes. Ali hits a super nice satellite DDT uh, through the ropes. And then he missed a 450. And Theory went and focused back onto Mustafa Ali's knee, lifted him up, hit an ATD, and picked up the victory there. Prior to the main event, Bray Wyatt became a very, very hot topic. I should say not even main event, prior to the, the premium live event. Due to some posts that Bray Wyatt have been has been tweeting on Twitter, because that's where you tweet, and fuel was added to the fire when there was an announcement made about Cody. Rumors showed up, or rumors started circulating behind before the, the show that Cody was injured. And then I believe on the kickoff show, they actually announced what happened. And he, they said that he partially tore his pectoral tendon on Monday Night Raw during the brawl with Seth Rollins, but he kept it quiet and then fully tore it while weight training. But he still wanted to compete. He was still going into this to give the fans the main event that they, that they deserve. Cody picks up the victory over Seth Rollins. Rollins comes out with Dusty Rhodes polka dotted gear. I thought that was really cool. But goddamn, Cody's arm, you could see the, the peck. It was all bruised. His whole arm was purple. And he was working with one arm. And a lot of this match was me cringing due to that. It, it was all, like, you could see it getting worse throughout the match. How he was doing that, I have no idea. But Seth Rollins brought weapons into the match, a kendo stick to be exact. Again, goes under the ring, pulls out a polka dot weight belt that said visionary on it. He used that, moves on to a table that he sets Cody up on, goes for a frog splash. Cody moves, grabs the belt from Seth, tosses it aside. Then he goes looking for a gear bag under the ring, pulls it out, busts out a bull rope. Commentary mentioned that Dusty, and then not by name, Dustin, very familiar with a bull rope, straps it to his arm and tosses it over to, to Seth Rollins and tells him to, to strap in. And Seth did. Cody clocks Seth in the head with it. Goes, Seth goes outside of the ring, pulls Cody into the ring post with it. And then Seth goes out looking for another table, went to powerbomb Cody into it, gets up, hits a crossroads. Seth actually does powerbomb Cody through it, but he takes out a sledgehammer. Cody ends up ducking that. Seth goes for a pedigree, which was reversed, and Cody hits a pedigree, which I think is huge for quite a while now. Has not been able to land a pedigree. Even in AEW, I believe. Kind of seen teases. I think that's what led to his other finisher. So I thought that, like, intertwining that story there. Like, that story alone, I think, is crazy. So the fact that they were able to put it into the match, I thought that was really, really good. And really well done. Cody takes the sledgehammer. And then Seth Rollins leaves the ring. Cody chases him back and gets hit with a stomp. Rollins goes for another stomp, which Cody ducks out of the way of. Goes for a crossroads. Seth Rollins ducks that, gives him a crossroads. Holds on to it 
for maybe another crossroads. Cody reversed that, hits another crossroads for him. And then they both crawl for the sledgehammer. Cody gets to it, couldn't use it. Seth Rollins picks it up, kicks it out of his hands. Cody kicks it out of his hand. Hits two more crossroads. And then he goes for a third, but drops him. And used the sledgehammer instead to pick up the victory, which again was another huge part of AEW Cody, where he smashed basically Triple H's throne and everything. Everybody knows the story if you follow AEW. Or if you don't follow AEW, certainly, and you follow WWE, you certainly have you've heard that story. So I thought that was a really, really well done main event. Very, very good. Seth Rollins versus Edge in a Hell in a Cell was a really good match. Cody versus Seth Rollins inside the Hell in a Cell was, for what Cody's limitations were, absolutely incredible. Moving over to Monday Night Raw, which opens with Cody. He brings up his daughter and how when she's older, he wants her to see how he stood up and fought for what he what what could have been his darkest moment of his career. And he's officially done with Seth Rollins. He starts teasing entering the Money in the Bank match. Seth came out and said that he doesn't like Cody, but he's earned his respect, which I think rightfully so. And out of storyline even I think that should have earned anybody's respect. I thought that was again fantastic. But Seth Rollins said Dusty would be very proud of Cody. Gave him a handshake and left. A left-handed handshake, by the way, because Cody's arm, is, uh, his, his pec was busted, obviously torn. And then as Cody made his way up the ramp, Seth Rollins ran back out and smacked Cody in the face with a sledgehammer. He tore open his shirt, stomped on his pec. Cody had surgery this week, so I don't know if four weeks is actually going to be enough time for him to come back for the money in the bank. I don't think it is. We've seen some pretty crazy stuff in professional wrestling. So, Godspeed to Cody Rhodes with his injury. I hope he heals up pretty soon. Or pretty quickly, I should say. After that, Becky Lynch versus Dana Brooke went to a no contest. The 24-7 people ran out during this. And Dana Brooke ends up pinning Akira Tozawa to win the 24-7 championship mid-match. Which Becky Lynch ends up getting pissed off. And challenged Dana Brooke for the title. And threatened all the 24-7 people not to get involved. Dana Brooke ends up picking up the victory over Becky Lynch. Because Asuka came out during this and distracted Becky. Dana almost gets the victory from that. But Becky kicks out and continues the match. And then Dana counters the manhandle slam. And Asuka held Becky's foot to have Dana pick up the victory. And this was a hot topic this week because a lot of people complain that Becky Lynch wrestled for the 24-7 championship. But for me, it's like, look at the former hardcore champions. Like, a bunch of them are Hall of Famers now. Mick Foley, Big Boss Man, Road Dog, Billy Gunn, British Bulldog, Jerry Briscoe, Pat Patterson, Kane, Rob Van Dam, Kurt Angle, Undertaker. A few others, but the fact that Undertaker wrestled for that, I think, speaks volume volumes 
And I feel like it doesn't matter that Becky Lynch wrestled for the 24-7 championship. Could it elevate the 24-7 championship? Sure. Do we think Becky Lynch is going to win the 24-7 championship? No. I don't think she's going to be walking around touting that she's 24-7 champion. But I think it doesn't hurt her to be in that spot. I don't think it hurts Asuka to be in that spot. It was used as a prop, I would say, perfectly. After that, they announced that John Cena will be returning to Monday Night Raw on June 27th. A lot of people wanting him to see, uh, a lot of people want to see him versus Austin Theory. That's been a long thing coming. I mean, Austin Theory used to cut promos on him in Evolve, so we'll see what happens on the 27th of June. After that, Miz TV took place. They put over their show, Miz and Mrs. Maurice did some trash talking about Green Bay, and Riddle interrupted and said that he hopes Orton comes back soon which pissed Miz off because it was his time and not Riddle's time, and then Riddle got pissed off. He wants Roman Reigns. He wants the WWE Championship. I think this is the most fired up that we've ever seen Riddle, and I thought that was pretty good. It got comedic over some testicles, which I thought was funny. Maurice, though, ends up challenging Riddle on behalf of Miz, and then Miz says no because he was in a tuxedo, and then Champa attacked Riddle from behind, and Miz changed his mind. And then Riddle went on to pick up the victory over Miz. He rips open Miz's shirt or whatever. He rips off Miz's pants, and Maurice ends up handing Miz her purse, distracts the referee. Riddle ducks that, hits the RKO, picks up the victory. I think Miz is in a great spot here. He puts Riddle over, and Miz is one of those guys that could do anything. After that, Street Profits, if you watch the Broken Skull session, by the way, with Jeff Jarrett, it's, to me, kind of a similar situation where Jeff Jarrett was, like, the guy to go out there and, and get stuff done if they needed something done with, like, a celebrity coming in or something like that. Miz is, I think, the absolute perfect person to do so. Um, but after that, we saw the Street Profits pick up the victory over the Usos via Countout. This was a contenders match, and it wasn't like matches that we've seen from them in the past. It was slower. I feel like not much happened, and it was a long match, almost 20 minutes, the longest match on Monday Night Raw. Early on, the Usos left the ring to regroup, and then they did it more than once. The match itself, I don't feel like really heated up until towards the end. And then it ended with a countout. So it's like fizzle, it fizzled out. So that sucked. But after that, Bobby Lashley came out, basically said he made a, uh, the, the biggest mistake MVP made was stabbing him in the back. And then he was interrupted by Austin Theory, who said that Bobby Lashley doesn't deserve to be out there. And it's his time. And he claimed that somebody helped Bobby Lashley win while he won all by himself. Lashley ends up challenging him to a match for the championship, and he said no. He tried to take a selfie, and Lashley kicks him out of the ring. I thought that was funny. After that, Veer picked up the victory over Dominic Mysterio via DQ, which I thought was a decent match. Veer tossed Dominic into Ray, though, at one point, and kicked Ray Mysterio down. And... Dominic, we saw, hit a 619 by the ring post. He hits a frog splash. 
Veer kicks out at one. Dominic ends up running right into the million dollar arm. Veer goes for the clutch and Rey Mysterio attacked him. That caused the DQ. After that, a pretty big segment, the Judgment Day. Build is them introducing a new member. Who could it be? Is it Champa? Maybe, maybe not. And then Rhea Ripley and, and Damian Priest spoke about destiny. And Damian Priest said that she's going to become the Raw Women's Champion again. And Edge put both of them over and introduces the new member. And brings out Finn Balor. And Edge basically asked how everything like that came about. And Balor said that it wasn't a choice to join. It was a calling. And he put Damian Priest over. He put Rhea Ripley over. And Priest said that they're ready to shed the last bit of limitations holding them back. And then turned to Edge and said that it's him. And he clocked him. And then all three of them beat Edge down. Edge fought back a little bit. They got him again, though. And Damian Priest puts Edge through the commentary table. Edge tried to fight back again. They take him out. Balor locks in uh, the Glasgow kiss. The Glasgow smile, I mean. On Edge. Ripley held back the agents while Damian Priest hits a concerto. I think people were expecting Finn Balor to join this, but... I don't think they expected them to kick Edge out. And I certainly didn't. After that, almost picked up the victory over Cedric Alexander. Which, this was based off of what happened at Hell in a Cell. It didn't last long. At all. Very quick match. Nothing to say about it. After that, the Dirty Dogs came out to be interviewed up on the ramp. And MVP was pissed off about this and confronted them. Ziggler hitting a uh, super kick off the platform. And then the Dirty Dogs ran off, being chased by almost an MVP. Didn't see anything after that for Monday Night Raw with them. But we saw Ezekiel pick up the victory over Otis, which was a quick match. Ezekiel ends up challenging Kevin Owens to a rematch for Monday Night Raw next week. Kevin Owens came out and said, yes, but he wants him to admit that he's Elias. So... Ezekiel admitted that he is, his name is Elias. He got his rematch, and then he said he took a page from KO. Lied about it to get the match. And Kevin Owens went to hit him, ran into a knee. The Alpha Academy chased him off. End of that segment. I thought that was a good segment back and forth between KO and, and Ezekiel. I, I really I say this every week. I'm enjoying Ezekiel. Rhea Ripley in the main event picked up the victory over Liv Morgan, Dewdrop, and Alexa Bliss to become number one contender. I think this could have been a longer match, but only longer if all four of them were in the ring for a lot of it. Like we saw Liv and, and, and Alexa Bliss team up for a bit, but the match seemed... Oh, right, there's a device next to me. Can't say the first name of Bliss. <laughs> But the match seemed like it was more so like singles, one-on-one at times. I think one time they might have all been in the ring together was when they did the Tower of Doom spot. But they did that stupid double count thing where the referee counts two pins at the same time. I hate I absolutely hate that spot. 
But Liv, at one point, we see her get her knees up for Twisted Bliss. Dewdrop throws her out of the ring. Liv Morgan hits her with a springboard codebreaker. Nikki ends up getting involved. She held, I think she held Liv Morgan when she went for the Oblivion. And then Rhea Ripley ends up breaking up a pin after Dewdrop hit Liv with the Michinoku driver. Picks her up, hits the Riptide, picks up the victory. And Raw ends with the Judgment Day staring down Bianca Belair. So, I'm intrigued to see more of what the Judgment Day become. If they are still the Judgment Day. I don't even think they got merch, bro. Moving over to NXT, though. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams opened. uh, Basically saying that nobody in NXT can compare to him. And he's the top of the top. And Solo Sokoa came out and said that NXT 2.0 is less talking, more fighting. He's next. And Trick Williams was like, brother, that agreement was between you and Cameron Grimes, not Carmelo Hayes. And then Grayson Waller came out and said that Solo wasn't even good enough. He should be next. Solo takes all three of them on at once. He ends up getting got and he, he challenged them to a match whether or not he had a partner. After that, we saw Josh Briggs pick up the victory over Von Wagner. Briggs got right into it. Before the match starts, Briggs right into Von Wagner. Henley at one point distracted the referee after Von Wagner smashed Brooks, uh, Brooke Jensen's arm on the apron with his cast on. Jensen takes off his cast, gives it a Briggs, and Briggs smashes it over Von Wagner's face with it. Boom. Earlier in the night, we saw the D'Angelo's pull up, and Tony had Legato do some things for him. Santos uh, has a match. And he had a match against Nathan Fraser. Fraser picked up the victory there. I liked that Legato was added to Tony D'Angelo's entrance graphics. Tony, I thought, was great on commentary here as well. Um, And I think at one point, even Santos did a dive to the outside, and Tony's like, no, you got to change your moveset, basically. I I thought that was pretty funny. Um, This match, though, I thought was fun. Donovan tossed Escobar a crowbar, which distracted him and allowed Nathan Fraser to take over and pick up the victory there. After that match, Mac Mitchell interviewed Zion Quinn. She put Nathan Fraser's victory over, which set Quinn off on a rant about Nathan Fraser on Wesley. And he spoke about dominating Wesley last week and how he's getting a rematch next week. He controlled the whole match and boom, one, two, three, Wesley out of nowhere stole it. He mentioned Sanga being there maybe to pick up the pieces for Wesley afterwards. Um, so again, I'm looking forward to seeing more Sangha. After that, Braun Breaker came out, asked who's next. Pretty surprising, Apollo Crews came out. I thought that was cool, unexpected. Fans went kind of nuts. I think, well, Apollo Crews was there for like two years. He had a few title shots, but I don't think he, he actually, he didn't actually do as much as he should have done there. I don't see him actually beating Braun for the the title, but I really would have liked to see, would have liked to have seen Apollo Cruz as NXT champion. And for the longest time, we've been wanting 
the most out of Apollo Crews. And it's just been like a dead career almost. So hopefully this lights something in his career. Because he's fantastic. Joe Gacy though. I guess done with Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman. Braun Breaker. I keep saying Braun Strowman. Because Joe Gacy's message is more important uh, than the NXT Championship. And now they can focus on the Druids and I guess they're they're being called the Dyad. And they're going to be competing next week. Will they look like Druids next week? I have no idea. After that, the finals for the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament. Roxanne Perez, no surprise, picks up the victory over Tiffany Stratton and uh, gets a title shot of her choice. Pretty good match. Perez, I, I, I can't say it enough. She is fantastic. She's absolutely fantastic in that ring. I think she delivered. Tiffany Stratton delivered in this match. I wish I could have gotten to see Roxy on the independent scene, though. After the match, though, Cora Jade came out to celebrate, and Toxic Attraction interrupted the celebration. Mandy telling her it's all downhill from there, and she's not going to be cashing in that contract on her. Seemed like the writing was on the wall, where Cora Jade, with her being out there, perfect for her to, uh, to team up with Cora Jade to take on Gigi Dolan and JC. But before anything, Toxic Attraction attacked them. Indy Hartwell, evening up the odds. And they came out on top, so maybe the future is Cora Jade and Indy Hartwell teaming up against Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. And then it's Roxanne Perez taking out Mandy Rose, taking the title away from her. But Tiffany Stratton interrupted a Wendy Chu interview afterwards because she wants a rematch against Roxanne Perez and Wendy Chu ends up throwing her drink in her face. Earlier on, we saw Chase Yu and Andre Chase present Thea Hale with a scholarship, full ride to Chase University, which I still can't believe I got caught last week with that, but pretty deadly interrupted them and Bodie made fun of them for losing their titles. Later on, Bodie was attacked backstage and Chase got fired up, led to a match, pretty deadly Picked up the ultimate victory over Andre Chase. Bodie at one point crawled his way out. And Thea ends up getting up on the apron to be his partner. And I would have liked to have actually seen her get in the ring and into the match. To like get one over on Pretty Deadly. So that I think was the only disappointing part from that segment. After that, Alba Fire picked up the victory over Tatum Paxley. I thought this was an obvious outcome. Not bad. Paxley got some moves in. I liked, uh, I liked Paxley rolling away from Alba Fire when she went for the Swanton. But Fire just shrugs it off. Jumps further, picks up the victory. She pulls her up, shakes her hand afterwards. Will Tatum Paxley be joining Diamond Mine? It doesn't seem likely at this point. But there was some mutual respect between Alba Fire and Tatum Paxley. After the match, when Fire was celebrating, Lash Legend attacked her. So Lash Legend will be, I guess, taking on Alba Fire next. Backstage, Diamond Mine uh, had the Creed celebrating their title victory with Ivy Nile. 
Roderick Strong showed up to congratulate them, and then Idris Sanofi and Malik Blade cut them off to put the Creeds over. Basically asked for a chance to earn a shot, and then the Creeds were like, brother, we could just set up the match and give you the opportunity next week. And that pissed Roderick Strong off, and he left them. He was pissed off. Why do you hand out an opportunity? But he walks off. That's the end of that segment. Giovanni Vinci, they showed him. It's Fabian Eichner. His match is next week. Hopefully this is uh, a to-the-moon situation with Vinci. Giovanni Vinci. Because, like I said in previous shows, big fan of Fabian Eichner. Uh, But a bit earlier in the show, we saw Fabian Eichner. We didn't see Fabian Eichner. We saw Tony D'Angelo threaten Carmelo Hayes. So I thought Tony D'Angelo was going to get involved in the main event. But Solo Sokoa goes out there for his match against Grayson Waller and Carmelo Hayes. No partner. And then Apollo Crews. Boom. Apollo Crews was his partner. I thought for sure Cameron Grimes would have been Solo Sokoa's partner. I wasn't expecting to see Apollo Crews again. Before the match, they both took out Trick Williams. Commentary said that it's Apollo Crews' first match in NXT since 2016, but he faced Kushida in 2019. But regardless, I think both teams worked very well together. Crews got the win over Grayson Waller. Again, this could be really good for Apollo Crews' career. And I hope it is. I I really, really hope it is. After that, uh, that's the end of NXT. Moving to UK, Mark Andrews picks up the victory over Kenny Williams. Williams kept looking around for Tiger Turan. And at the very end of the match, Williams went to go for his finisher. Tiger Turan appeared up on the ring apron, and Mark Andrews rolled him up to pick up the victory. Sooner or later, I think we're going to definitely find out, or sooner rather than later, I should say, I think we're going to find out that the, uh, the, the identity of Tiger Turan is, in fact, Amir Jordan. So, look out for that. After that, Symbiosis picked up the victory over Ollie Blake and Tate Mayfair's. Uh, this, for the most part, I think was a one-sided match, which I think should be expected. The unexpected was afterwards when T-Bone and Primate took Eddie Dennis out. I was not expecting that at all. But it seemed like Eddie Dennis was like always getting into getting them into predicaments. So, gotta drop them. After that, Eliza Alexander picked up the victory. Oh, Alexander, yeah, picks up the victory over Amel. Uh, Zaya Brookside got up on the apron at one point, and Amel kicks her off. Which, being distracted there, it didn't really factor into the match. But the match didn't last more than maybe three more moves after that that happened. Uh, after that, they showed Wolfgang and Damon Kemp go day drinking, I guess, to become Scottish, which was a hard-to-watch segment given the screen effects that they used to make it known that they were, like, wasted. But next week on NXT UK, they're going to be facing off against Shaw Samuels and Noam Dar. Uh, and then Trent Seven will also be there next week to address the WWE Universe about his future. Main event saw Miko Satamora pick up the victory over Diamond Mines Ivy Nile to retain the NXT UK Women's Championship. This, I thought, was a really nice technical match. It's 
I think it's a good match that Nile got to face her in and be showcased in that way. They did the the flip over submission pin thing that I don't like seeing, but again, very good on Ivy Nile for being able to have this match, and it ended with mutual respect between Mako and Ivy Nile. So Ivy, I think, could be a huge star in WWE. It's just only a matter of time there. So I'm looking forward to whatever comes in the future for that. That's NXT UK. I am not going to do SmackDown this week. But I am going to take a quick little break right now. And when I return, I'll be doing some shout-outs and stuff. But Chris will be here, right here, on Marking Out. Hey, this is always ready Matt Cardona, the internet champion, a.k.a. the $1,000 Broski, a.k.a. the Michael Jordan of wrestling figure collecting, the host of the major wrestling figure podcast. And you're listening to Marking Out. Wait a minute, are you serious, bro? That's still a show? Back on Marking Out, Pro Wrestling Talk by Pro Wrestling Fans. Chris here, by myself, uh, because Brandon has jet-setted away, and unfortunately, uh, it's me, by myself, uh, covering the AEW Talk for this week, and we're going to kick it off from last week for Rampage. Man, if AEW had a crazy week last week, it only got crazier. You started off the show, actually, I have to mention that the show was at the sold-out Toyota Arena in Ontario, California, home of the Young Bucks, and they kicked off the show and picked up a victory over the Lucha Brothers. Car crash, very fast-paced match here. You got high spots from Ray Phoenix, you got high spots from the Bucks, you had Jurassic Express, and the Hardys sitting ringside, but ultimately it was the BTE trigger that picked up the victory and gave the Young Bucks a victory here. I said last week, what else do the Young Bucks have to do in AEW? But we'll talk about that once we get the Rampage. Next up in what Brandon described to me as a goofy but perfect match, Team Taz's Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs pick up the victory over two unnamed opponents in a cutaway scene. So they're in the match. They start the match off. They beat up their opponents, and then they cut to. And if you if you watch, you saw they cut away to them cutting a promo, where they get the one two three, which that's all you needed. It was a squash match. It was it was, it was like the very essence of a squash match with powerhouse powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Stark picking up the victory here. Uh, after this, you had the in-ring debut of Athena picking up the victory over Kira Hogan, which I thought Athena looked great. I mean, I have maybe have not paid attention to her for a while in the Fed or New York, whatever you want to call it, but I thought she looked fantastic in this match. I thought she looked very athletic. Um, I don't know what they're calling the Eclipse now, but uh, I guess they're calling it the Swan Diving Cutter. Uh, and pinned Kiara Hogan. So very impressive debut, as Chris Jericho said, by Athena. And it looks like uh, you know she's on her way to facing Jade Cargill for the TBS Championship. After this, you have a little uh, promo vignette from the House of Black introducing Julia Hart to the group. So cool. Nice fourth uh, member of the House of Black. You could say valet, manager. Um, I can't remember the last time that we saw Julia Hart wrestle probably on dark or dark elevation but you know as brandon says uh, we're not supposed to watch those shows because commentary doesn't care about it so neither should we after this the biggest news coming out of rampage was cm punk 
coming to address the crowd, saying how earlier today he didn't want to be here. He was, you know, wanted to turn around and leave. He, when he saw every bone in his body, he means that all the broken ones. CM Punk then goes on to say that he broke his foot and unfortunately he will be requiring surgery so he will be stepping away and going to get that surgery what happened next was tony khan or aew management announced that cm punk would not be stripped of the aew title however there will be an intermittent champion an intermittent inter, uh, intermittent fasting whatever it is regardless there will be an intermittent champion crowned at forbidden door when uh apparently the number one in the rankings now so it, this is what we like i am an aew person through and through but this is what just like really irks me so i'm looking at the power rankings from june 1st they release their power rankings every single week on wednesdays right so I'm looking at the website right now. On Wednesday the 1st, Wardlow was, was number one. Adam Cole, Hangman Page, John Moxley. So then, like, out of the blue, out of the blue now, because I'm, I'm looking back to, it's every Wednesday. So then, on Friday, they had to change their rankings. So John Moxley, who was number four on Thursday, scooched up to number one over Wardlow and Hangman Page and Adam Cole. So Adam Cole, like, moves down. He didn't even wrestle a match between Wednesday and Friday. He moves down to four. He was number two. Hangman Page moves up, who you haven't seen since he lost the title at Double. It, it doesn't make sense. What they said is, on Dynamite, there would be a battle royal, and the winner of that battle royal will face off against John Moxley in the main event of Dynamite, and the winner of that will face off against the winner of the Tanahashi Goto match that's going to happen at New Japan Dominion, and they'll face off and be the intermittent champion. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like the winner of a battle royal have to go face the guy who's the number one, who's number one. But three weeks, three two days ago he was number two, but now we're gonna make him number one because apparently he had better. Tony Khan says something to the matter that he has, he had better opponents and stuff like that. It just it it really confusing me. And this is like what this is like the first time that I feel like I've been very irked by this ranking system in AEW, and it, I'm going to get even more irked as we continue along and as we go to Dynamite. So CM Punk has to get surgery. There's going to be an intermittent champion announced, uh, crowned at Forbidden Door. It's going to be John Moxley versus Tanahashi, but regardless, uh, let's get to your main event. And your main event of the evening was Scorpio Sky picking up a victory over Dante Martin. Dante Martin was uh, smashed Scorpio Sky with flying foot stomps, but Scorpio Sky had enough and ended a Dante's match with a TKO to score the pinfall. So all in all, another awesome hour of television. Big story out of this with CM Punk. He is injured. He's going to surgery. As of recording time right now, CM Punk has had surgery, apparently, allegedly, it was a successful surgery, so hopefully we'll get Punk back in the ring, and I hope it's not in two weeks. Now, let's go to Dynamite. Dynamite making their debut at the Cable Dahmer Arena in Independence, Missouri. You kick off with this Casino Battle Royal, and it's, it's Casino Battle Royal's rules, so I guess they have, like, the Kings, the Queens, the Jet, what, whatever, the Aces... But you start off in the ring with Darby Allen, Tony Nese, Daniel Garcia, Lance Archer, and Eddie Kingston, which was awesome. While back and forth, then you have your next group of gentlemen, which is going to be Absolute Ricky Starks, Jake Hager, Ray Phoenix, Swerve Strickland, and Keith Lee. So they all get in the ring. Next up, you have John Silver, uh, Konosko Takeshka. I think I said that right. Hallelujah. Good for me. Let me give myself the old... Uh... 
pat on the back there with Barry Horowitz and Max Caster and John and uh, the Gun Club. So there's your five that come out there. Next up, Powerhouse Hobbs, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Dante Martin, and the returning back to AEW programming, Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, the Joker, last entrance, Andrade El Idolo. I think, yes, I know, there's a, you know, Ray Phoenix was in here. You had Andrade El Idolo making this big return and then really like giving them the rub and making him the Joker. I feel like this lacked a lot of star power. The final four, Ray Phoenix, Kyle O'Reilly, Andrade, and Wheeler Yuta. I would have loved to see Wheeler Yuta win this battle well because there's a dynamic there with them both being the Blackpool Combat Club. That would have been a cool match and the fact that Wheeler Yuta didn't get a victory over John Moxley originally, it would have been like a nice come from behind story for him to go against, I'm assuming Tanahashi at Forbidden Door. And you could have really built a story around him until CM Punk gets back. You know, Wheeler Yuta apparently wins the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. He's the intimate champion. What's one of the first things that CM Punk said when he came into AEW? I want to work with all this young talent. There's a story right there. Young talent, yes, I know Wheeler Yuta has been a professional wrestler for 15 years, but he's been more been making himself on the scene in the past couple years. That would have been a cool story arc in this. But ultimately, which I'm not against, Kyle O'Reilly wins the Battle Royale. He goes on to face John Moxley in the main event of Dynamite that night. But again, it's like, Kyle O'Reilly, do you really think he's gonna... I mean, he's been on a tear recently. But do you really think that he is going to be John Moxley? No, you know, John Moxley is kind of like one of the faces uh, of AEW. After this, though, out of nowhere was the announcement of a new championship in All Elite Wrestling, the All-Atlantic Championship. Beautiful title, but I don't understand why it's called the All-Atlantic Championship when there is a Japanese flag on it when, the Jap- when Japan is in the Pacific Ocean. Regardless, I think another singles title in AEW is great, but they need to somehow, maybe going into the fall, get another hour or so on television. A match that was announced before the culmination of the All-Atlantic Championship Tournament. So, the All-Atlantic Championship Tournament, four matches. The winner of those four matches are going to go on to a fatal four-way at Forbidden Door to be crowned the first All-Atlantic Champion. The first match, this match was announced earlier in the day, which totally slapped. Pac picking up the victory over Buddy Matthews. Um, this was the match that we expected and more. Pac picking up the victory. He will now, he's the first person now to advance in the All-Atlantic Championship Tournament. He'll be facing off against the winners of Ethan Page and Miro and Penta. And they did it by like... And then the winner, and then there's going to be somebody uh, from, and then there's going to be a match in New Japan too. So it's a, it's a way that they're going to work in this Forbidden Door thing, work in New Japan. Maybe one of the New Japan guys will win it. I like the fact that they have a new title. I think it's a kind of a little silly that it's called the All-Atlantic and they're, you know, showing countries that are in, this, in the Pacific Ocean. Let's go back to the match though. Awesome match. I like the fact that both of these both of these guys are in trios. I know the House of Black is more of a stable now with the addition of Julia Hart. These guys, these are two trios that have been at each other's throats for months. And I like the fact that both of these guys came out by themselves. It shows you that they didn't want anybody to get involved. You just wanted two of maybe the workhorses 
of AEW putting on this match that I think a lot of people are kind of hype, were hyped about. And I think, in my opinion, I think that this delivered. After this, you had Eddie Kingston on the back, on the microphone backstage talking about how much he hates the Jericho Appreciation Society and he wants Jake Hager on Rampage and he's going to fight you. You could kind of say there was kind of pod shots towards the uh, infamous MJF promo last week. Reddy Kingston's like, no, don't count me down. I know what the C means. Come on. And he pulls the guy into, into a shot at the end of it and it cuts off beautifully. But just setting up a match for Rampage. Eddie Kingston versus Jake Hager. Haas fight. Next up after this, you have Tremperetta all alone in the ring on Best Friends Day saying that his best friends aren't here. Uh, they had Him and Rocky Romero had a shot at the ROH tag titles, but they didn't win it, and they didn't lose it. So FTR, you know, you're fighting champions, and why don't you come, Why don't you, they come out there? So FTR comes out, Dax and Harwood. They said, you know, they want to prove they're the best tag team on the planet, and they didn't win, but, you know, we want to prove themselves against you guys. Unfortunately, Rocky Romero's in Japan right now. Harwood says that. He goes, uh, it shouldn't be us, but... You know, uh, you shouldn't have a problem with us, but it should be a problem with the guys that attacked you. You know, he, they, and they mentioned Will Ospreay's, uh, you know, uh, buddies and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, the United Empire music hits, and Will Ospreay takes the stage. So the forbidden, you know, he makes mention to, oh, hey, look, I'm here. I got the key. I'm opening the forbidden door. And out at behind FTR and Tramperetta, you have Aussie Open and Aaron Henry ambush Trent and FTR. And then Will Ospreay comes down, nails Trent with his, uh, you know, the hidden blade, as he calls it, his finisher. Ospreay is in AEW, setting up a match for Rampage. It's going to be Aussie Open and Will Ospreay versus FTR and Trent on Rampage. Continuing on with the storyline of, uh, you know, getting... New Japan involved in AEW. Anyway, continue on. Hangman Page in his first match since losing the AEW championship picks up a victory over David Finley. I thought this was a great match. We've been saying it a lot recently. Predictable. But Hangman Page picks up the victory with the Buckshot Lariat. And afterwards, he gets on the microphone saying that the AEW championship isn't the only championship in professional wrestling. And he says at Forbidden Door, he wants Okada. And Adam Cole, who was on commentary for this match, pops on the microphone and says, are you kidding me? He goes, uh, you know, Okada might not be champion because we do have uh, New Japan Dominion coming up and it's going to be Okada versus Jay White. And if Jay White wins, he'll have to face Adam Page. And he says the only person that should be facing the New Japan champion should be me. So it looks like Forbidden Door, it'll be either Okada or Jay White versus Hangman Page and Adam Cole in some sort of triple threat match. After this... You have Tony Schiavone in the ring with Wardlow. Wardlow comes out and he explains that he opted not to be in the Battle Royal because there's something on his mind. He says CM Punk is the champion of AEW. He goes, and I'm going to wait until CM Punk gets back because that's the guy I want to face. He said, so heal up because I'm waiting for you for you to get back. But he does say that he does have another championship on his mind. He does have another title on his mind, and that title is the TNT Championship, a title that he should have won three months ago when that storyline with MJF started. Then Scorpio Sky come walks down to the ring, and Dan Lambert and Ethan Page, and they try to calm down Scorpio Sky. Wardlow, as he says, he's all elite now. He's got, he's got all the time in the world to wait. So it looks like uh, the next challenger for Scorpio Skies is going to be Wardlow. And then immediately, like while they're like trying to defuse this thing 
Smart Mark Sterling gets on the TV and he says Wardlow is going to face him in court or he's going to face 20 security guards next week. So it's going to be Wardlow versus 20 security guards next week, which if they have a bunch of security guards just bumping and feeding for him, it's going to keep Wardlow super hot. And it's going to keep him, keep him uh, you know, relevant and kind of show his dominance that they've been doing a great job with. After this, you have a backstage segment with the Young Bucks, filmed by Brandon Cutler, and talking about how they want the world titles back. They're interrupted by the Hardys, and they said they beat you a double or nothing, but they deserve a title shot. Let's go to the official AEW ranking from June 8th that were released like two hours before Dynamite was... Was 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 put on the air. Your number one contenders for the AEW championships, AEW Tag Team Championships, are FTR. Number two is Brian Danielson and John Moxley. Allegedly, Brian Danielson is injured. He had to pull off appearances. He's not being able to fly. The Hardys are number three. Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks are number four, and the Young Bucks are number five. Anyway, going back to the segment, the Jurassic Express comes in. They said they're gonna. Um, Christian Cage says he's throwing down the challenge. Next week on Dynamite, it's going to be the Hardys versus the Bucks versus Jurassic Express in a world tag team title triple threat ladder match. So another triple threat match for Jurassic Express and the number one contenders for the AEW championships aren't even involved in this thing. Like the, the ranking system, in my opinion, with AEW over the past week should just be thrown out. Because now it's just making it silly. Because okay, and now I, we're gonna. I want to continue with this ranking system too. Because right now the number one contender for the women's championship is Nyla Rose. The AEW women's championship was defended against Marina Shafir, and Thunder Rosa was successful for it. Every number one contender has been getting screwed in AEW over the past week. Wardlow was number one contender last week. He, I guess. Net, they they played the the story that he wants to wait for CM Punk to get back, which which is fine. But then like Nyla Rose, no mention of her being number one contender. Britt Baker's on there too. Serena Deeb, you know the number they they finally at the end of the match between Thunder Rose and Marina Shafir, Tony Storm comes out and holds the title, but she's the number four in this ranking system. So it's like the rankings are really starting to irk me now. And I know Brandon has mentioned this for months. If you're just gonna throw, if you're gonna put these rankings up, change them two days later, then go back to your normal Wednesday, you know, power rankings. Next week, it better be, the number one contenders better be Young Bucks slash Hardys. Or else it's making these things null and void and they should stop doing the power ranking system because it's silly. As I said, Thunder Rosa picks up a victory over Marina Shafir for the Women's World Championship. Good to see Thunder Rosa on TV defending her championship, but it should have been against Nyla Rose. We're talking rankings here, right? Afterwards, Tony, as I said, Tony Storm comes out, picks up Thunder Rosa's championship, stares at it, and hands it back to her. So it's setting up. Tony Storm's number four. We want to talk. She's got to get through Serena Deeb. She's got to get through Bip Baker, and she's got to get through Nyla Rose. So to really solidify her to get a number one contendership shot. I know kind of... AEW has been scrambling over the past week with the CM Punk injury, and then maybe there was plans for MJF to do something, but allegedly he walked out, and now he's going to Hollywood, so... Uh, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, I'm getting uh, Mark animated here. Backstage, you have Tony Schiavone with Jade Cargill, Stokely Hathaway, and the Baddies. It's announced that for Rampage, it's going to be Chris Statlander versus Red Velvet. They make some Keith Sweat R&B references here, which I thought was hilarious, and it got to, you got to see Stokely Hathaway be Stokely Hathaway. So it was fun, and I liked this. I want to get 
as I said last week, you got to make like the Jade Brand Collective. You got to have Mark Sterling in there as the lawyer. You got the hype man in Stokely Hathaway. Main event time, John Moxley picks up the victory over Kyle O'Reilly. So the, the John Moxley will now go on to face the winner of Tanahashi versus Goto for the interim, the interim, not the intermit. Man, I've been saying that wrong the entire freaking time. The interim. AEW World Champion on June 26th on Forb- at, at Forbidden Door. William Regal is on commentary. This was just a, it was just a hard hitting, strong style match, in which John Moxley picks up the victory. You can say maybe it's a safe bet to put John Moxley in this role until CM Punk comes back. So we'll see where it goes from here. All in all, it was a confusing week for me with AEW, especially with the injuries. Then I guess. You know, now now is the like the hard sell to Forbidden Door since we're less than a month away from it. So you got to introduce all the new Japan guys. Um, so that's that when it comes to uh, AEW. I got really animated on this episode, and I don't know if I like it or not. So uh, we'll stop for right now, and we'll go to Chris's match of the week. Chris's match of the week. Chris's match of the week. Not a match. Of the week this week, even though if you want to go watch Cage Survival, John Wayne Murdoch versus Alex Colon, if you're a deathmatch wrestling person, like the spots that they put on in this match and the glass and the light tubes and the it was it was brutal to watch. So go check that out. So, yeah, there we go. There is a match of the week now. John Wayne Murdoch versus Alex Colon. In the cage of survival. Uh, congratulations also to Drew Parker. Won a tournament of survival the day beforehand. So very pretty cool about that. But uh, album of the week this week. Go listen to New Found Glory. Sticks and Stones. Last I didn't mention how my week was at the beginning of uh, this segment. But last Friday, me, my wife, and the kids went to go see New Found Glory in Terminal 5 in Manhattan. Uh, it was my kids' first concert. And New Found Glory was awesome. Played Sticks and Stones in its entirety, and then uh, kicked out a couple other jams in there, which was a lot of fun. Uh, the kids had a great time, and my son uh, is now a fan of uh, Four Years Strong because they uh, were direct support to New Fan Glory. Uh, it was a great show. I got a pair of New Fan Glory athletic shorts, which are cool. Go check that out. So until next week, well, hopefully Brandon will be back next week, and we can talk about... The craziness of if the rankings sit, I'm why I'm sorry that I keep going on about the ranking system. But anyway, Brandon, who are you shout out? Hey there, pal, it's me, Mickey Mouse, and you're listening to Brandon Shoutouts. The first shout out goes to Knocked Up, which was released 15 years ago last week. I think it's such a great movie, fantastic cast. If you've never seen Knocked Up, I would totally recommend it. It's Judd Apatow and like Seth Rogen and uh, a bunch of those people, Paul Rudd. So check that out. After that, I spoke about it a little bit earlier. Broken Skull Sessions with Double J, Jeff Jarrett. It's getting the second shout-out. I think it's always great to see Double J. Uh, I thought maybe they would cover Mexico and Japan, but they barely covered TNA and Global Force. But I still think it was a really good episode to hear the insight from Jeff Jarrett especially to see uh, the match that they showed Jeff Jarrett versus Steve Austin from well over 20 years ago. So I, th- I just think that's pretty crazy and, and it was cool to see. The last shout out, I know this is kind of uh, random, super random. Gonna give a shout out to Tacos. I had some in Florida and I think Tacos are like up there in like tier one with pizza and burgers i feel like you can never really go wrong with a taco a real taco so not like taco bell so 
yeah, go eat some tacos. <laughs> but those are my shout outs. Now it's time for my Markout Moment of the Week. That is right, my uh, Markout Moment of the Week. I think everything that Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes did in that match was just fantastic. I can't keep, I can't say that enough. Also, since they were in Green Bay, Wisconsin for Monday Night Raw, MVP posted a TikTok of him doing Ken Kennedy's entrance. So I popped for that when I came across it on TikTok. I thought that was really funny. But really, that's uh, the show. I want to get out of here. There's like animals all over here. I see a rabbit. There's lizards and everything. Birds that I don't even, big, big ass birds. <laughs> So I want to get back inside and bugs everywhere. So thank you so much for checking out episode 592. Again, sorry for the mic quality. Sorry for that awful fan blowing in the background. The crickets, nature, etc. Check us out. Twitter at Marking Out at BTTG161 on Twitter and Instagram. Chris Sweendog, David PTDPT on Twitter and Instagram at CMSweeney85 on Instagram. Marking Out11 on Instagram and YouTube. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Marking Out. Marking Out on TikTok, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify Podcasts, MarkingOut.com. And we wish you Facebook.com slash Marking Out. The Also, what the absolute hell is All Atlantic? What does All Atlantic have anything to do with China and Japan? I know Chris touched on that, but what the absolute... What the absolute... I, I can't even. Atlantic, All Atlantic. You think the, the, the countries, the continents that, that border the Atlantic Ocean? China and Japan? Are you kidding me? What does that mean? I have not been able to stop thinking about this. It makes no sense. It, uh, it makes absolutely no sense. I've tweeted Tony Khan. I don't know if he's, he's definitely not going to respond. There's no way. I need somebody to respond. I don't know who did that. I don't know who came up with the name All Atlantic. It makes no sense. I would love to know what it means. Is there a meaning? There's only one definition of Atlantic. And all means it covers the Atlantic. I just, I, I can't. I cannot. It makes no sense. Literally zero cents. But we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Have a fantastic week. Arr!